morning again. Would you turn in your Bibles to 1 Chronicles 29? It's on page 307 in the blue Bibles under the chairs in front of you, if you'd like to follow along there. I'll be reading there in a minute. This morning we're wrapping up our six messages as part of the Growing in Grace Vision campaign. The foundation was four weeks of spiritual dynamics. First of all, talking about biblical fellowship, vertical relationship with God, influencing our horizontal relationship with each other. Secondly, we talked about the necessity of gospel healing for sin. Then we turned to 2 Kings to see God's calling on us to share our gospel abundance with the least and the lost. And then Jesus' last words to his followers, make disciples, make more of yourselves, multiply, reproduce. Last week we turned the corner and we used Psalm 127 to frame our goal of finding a new home for God's family. Unless the Lord builds the house, Psalm 127 verse 1 says, its builders labor in vain. He is the sovereign one who must do this spiritual work. And at the same time, we're called to plan, to work, to respond. This morning we're going to look more closely at a text that I mentioned and read part of on week number three. First uh, Chronicles 29, King David knows that it's not going to be his job to build the temple for the Lord in Jerusalem. It'll be his son's job. But he undergoes this massive preparation uh, and, and rallies the people of Israel for that huge task by willingly and joyfully giving to the Lord. We're going to pick up halfway through this passage. I'll back up in the middle of our time to look more closely at the first nine verses. But let's start in verse 10. Listen carefully. These are God's words. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor. For everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over all. Wealth and honor come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand and all of it belongs to you. This is God's word. Let's pray. Lord, just as you spoke to David and through David as king over Israel, so we ask that you would speak through this living word for the glory of the son of David himself, Jesus. Amen. This morning we're talking about returning gifts to the king. And we're looking at three things. First of all, for what purpose? Are we to return gifts to the king? You know, our our passage describes an incredibly unique stage in Israel's history. This is no mere building project. This is the temple of Yahweh, the one true God, in Jerusalem. So it might seem like a stretch to relate it to a particular church's uh, plan to find 
and secure a permanent home for itself. But let me guide us through some of the Bible's teaching on what the temple represents. Uh, The temple that will be built in later years by Solomon, son of King David, would become the place where God would dwell among his people, not off in the far off heavens, wherever they are, but among his people, in their midst. It was a symbol of his close presence, but it was destroyed in 587 B.C. by the Babylonian army, and uh, the Jews were carted off to live in exile in foreign lands. A generation or so later, they returned, and they built a second temple, not so glorious, but that stood for about 500 years until Herod the Great, um, part of the Roman government, saw it through a, a massive overhaul, if you will, a renovation and expansion to um, increase the footprint and the glory of the temple. That would have been the, the temple version, if you will, that Jesus lived through, where he cast out the money changers. Uh, making a prophet in the house of prayer, where Jesus would have stood up during the Feast of Tabernacles, more commonly known to us as Sukkot, which just finished uh, for our Jewish friends. And at that Feast of Tabernacles at the temple would have been where Jesus declared to the pilgrims, I am the light of the world. That temple was destroyed in 70 AD by the Romans. And to this day, there is no temple. And Orthodox Jews, um, among other sects of Judaism, still look ahead and long for the day when a temple will be rebuilt in Jerusalem on the Temple Mount. But the Bible tells us that's not God's plan. Why is that? It's actually related to the goals of our vision campaign funding, believe it or not. Because we are not just looking for a new space. We're not just looking to put up a building. We are continuing to build the new temple of the Lord. It's not a physical dwelling any longer. It's the people of God. Paul writes this in Ephesians chapter 2, starting in verse 19. He says, You are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone in him the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord and in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit when the Lord completes this building of his people into a holy temple on the last day, in the New Jerusalem, Revelation 21:22 tells us there will no longer be a temple because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. What we're trying to do by raising these vision campaign funds is invest in God's people, this building process of God in rising up a holy temple so we can more effectively teach our little ones about Jesus so that we can better welcome, minister to, counsel, restore, love on, welcome guests, skeptics, the broken, lonely, those who are searching for God so that the gospel could be more effectively launched to the ends of the earth, to all nations through world missions, 
and through church planting. Yes, we are aiming at purchasing a facility, but the end goals are to build Christ's church, to build up his people, to make us look more like the Savior. This is God's plan throughout all of redemptive history that he will carry on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're building the new temple with Jesus as the chief cornerstone. A facility just happens to be a major tool toward that end. Returning gifts to the king with what attitude? Let me back up uh, to verses 1 through 9, which set up this prayer of David that I read. Here's the flow. Verses 1 through 5, leaders set the example of giving. In particular, King David himself. Secondly, then there's a spirit of willingness that is called upon. Thirdly, the focus of the giving is Godward. It's an act of worship. And then fourthly, generosity leads to rejoicing. Let's drill down on each of these elements one by one. The first five verses, as I mentioned, are focused on David's example of, of leading by example, sacrificial generosity. He can't ask of his people what he's not willing to do himself. And, and we've tried to imitate this example um, right in Scripture um, so back on Sunday number three, which was October 12th, Cedar and I announced that we as a Wong family are committing $50,000 in a three-year commitment towards the building campaign. Um, our leadership team was already in the process of inviting leaders in the church and active members to consider participating in what we've called advance commitment. And this morning, I'm happy to report that we have already received commitments towards our goal of $1.5 million dollars. We're halfway there with a number of families um, having made plans. And that's what verses 6 through 8 describe as the next phase of giving. The leaders of families, the officers of the tribes of Israel, the commanders of thousands, our equivalent ministry leaders and uh, active families. Why are we sharing that number today, even as we're hopeful that everyone who calls GRC home is in the process of prayerfully considering how the Lord might prompt your heart? Well, probably a, a long list, but I'll give you three reasons. Number one, in order to encourage you, first of all, that we're well on our way. Number two, in order to inspire you that many have already made sacrificial commitments. And number three, in order to challenge you with urgency to meet this goal, it will take every household, every sacrificial commitment. Honestly, uh, in raw fashion, we need a couple of more gifts in the hundreds of thousands. We need a couple of dozen gifts between 50 and 100,000. We need 100 or more gifts uh, below that, each of which has its role in building this temple of the Lord, building up his household, making the ministry of the gospel that much more effective and secure for the generation to come. Not equal amounts, but equal sacrifice equal proportions to your own resources, to your life stage, to other kingdom commitments that you may have. Leaders leading by example, first of all. Um, secondly, there's a word in the original Hebrew that occurs six times in this passage and serves really as a theme for the chapter. The verb nadav means to offer willingly. And so when, when David uses this term, his focus is not on the gift itself, but on the giver's relationship to the God to whom he's returning 
these gifts. For example, in verse 5, David says um, literally, Who then will offer willingly Nadav, consecrating himself to the Lord? Who then will offer willingly? One um, writer notes this, Often the the extent to which we are prepared to put at risk our material well-being is a measure of the seriousness with which we take our discipleship. And the only source of willing and truly sacrificial giving is the gospel, which is the real story of God's own self-giving, his own greatly sacrificial giving of his most precious possession, his one and only son, to undeserving sinners like us. That's why we're not simply calling this bringing gifts to the king, but returning gifts to the king. This is a response. And that leads us thirdly, um, to, to this reality that giving is always a giving of oneself primarily to the Lord. It's an act of worship. It, it, it only secondarily has horizontal implications for a, a particular community, for an organization, for the benefit of other people. Primarily, first and foremost, it's an act of worship. It has vertical elements. Uh, an Old Testament professor named Andrew Hill wrote this. The issue is not the amassing of glittering jewels and precious metals, That was the context of the building of the temple and what that required. But the pouring of themselves as God's people into building the temple as a symbol of the wholehearted worship that will soon take place in that sanctuary. And so in verse 5, when David links sacrificial willing offering, Nadav, with the act of consecrating oneself, two different ideas, he links them together. That consecrating them and themselves word is the same word used in Exodus chapter 28 to describe the ordination of priests. They're being set apart for holy purposes. So again, to give, to offer willingly, sacrificially, is a vertical Godward act, first and foremost. You know, we all give generously. The only question is, to what? More accurately, to whom and in what direction? Is it upward as an act of worship for the, for the glory of God, or is it inward in an act of self-gratification? In the New Testament, the, the most powerful passage that relates to giving is 2 Corinthians chapter 8. The Apostle Paul is describing the radical generosity of the Macedonian people. Uh, And he says this, they gave themselves first to the Lord, vertical dimension, and then to us. And throughout that chapter, Paul uses the word grace ten different times. It's all over the the place to describe the dynamics that um, relate to generous giving. It's always an overflow of the gospel that prompts us to return gifts to the king. Uh, And it's always in relation to the most central of giving realities, if you will, which is this. Paul writes in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse 9, For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you, through his poverty, might become rich. That is the attitude with which we should return gifts to the king, in humble reliance that we owe God everything if we've been claimed by the savior if we've been bought by his blood we could never repay him we should never try to god doesn't expect us to 
but to offer ourselves willingly, first to the Lord and then to others. That is a picture of gospel in action, working itself through us and returning glory to Jesus Christ. Lastly, fourth on this list, um, the generous response of the leaders has a clear result. Verse 9 says this, The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders, Nadav, for they had given freely, Nadav, and wholeheartedly to the Lord. David the king also rejoiced greatly. It's cause for celebration. Because God's goodness has been at work. God's goodness in its results is on display. He's moved the hearts of the people. At this point, especially the leaders, to, to radical generosity. And that's why uh, we're calling November 23rd, a few weeks away, Celebration Sunday. Because we're going to celebrate what God has done through us and announce uh, the total commitments for the Growing in Grace campaign. Returning gifts to the king, lastly. From what source? Here's a simple summary of David's prayer that I read uh, to begin with. O Lord, everything is yours. Everything belongs to you. Everything comes from you. Redundant, emphatic repetition. All all David says in his prayer. And it's a theme uh, repeated in the Old Testament, sprinkled here and there. Deuteronomy 8 Verse 17 and 18, uh, you may say to yourself, my power and the strength of my hands have produced this wealth for me. But remember the Lord your God, for it is he who gives you the ability to produce wealth. All comes from him. Job 41, verse 11, the Lord says, who has a claim against me that I must repay or pay? Everything under heaven belongs to me. Psalm 24, 1 says, the earth is the Lord's and everything in it, the world and all who live in it. And the question that we need to wrestle with is, do we really believe that? That everything in it belongs to the Lord? Do we, really, do we believe instead that worship of the king has nothing to do with our salaries, our bank accounts, our investments, our assets, our toys? That has nothing to do with offering ourselves first to the Lord and then to others. As David praises God as he celebrates the willing and generous response of the people in consecrating themselves as an act of worship, he says one simple thing that ensures that God will receive all the glory at the end of the day. Verse 14, But who am I and who are my people that we should be able to give as generously as this? Everything comes from you, and we have given you only what comes from your hand. As amazing as these gifts are, they're enumerated in their um, specific values by the writer of Chronicles. As amazing as they are, as, as, as much as they amount to, collectively it's merely a returning of gifts to the king. It's merely a keeping a little bit less of God's resources for ourselves and returning a little bit more to its rightful owner, God himself. Let me wrap things up this morning. And uh, to be honest, this is my wrap-up of the vision campaign. 
I've been apart with many of you for months, starting back in March, of meetings and teleconferences and countless emails and conversations and prayers and writing and thinking. And uh, this morning, my part is done, except for praying. I want to share just a few last thoughts with you. My greatest prayer about the Growing in Grace campaign is that we would grow in grace. That's what we've called it. Not that $3 million would be hit. That's a goal. That's a desire. I've been praying for that. That's not my greatest prayer. My greatest prayer is that this stretch we've been through, which has had already amazing impact on our congregation, that it would unleash a culture of generosity for generations to come. And um, the last entry, for those of you who have been following the uh, 30-day devotional and the 30-day prayer calendar, the last entry of the 30 days prayed, asked us to pray for generous and sacrificial giving, not just now, but for the years to come, not just with money, but with prayer, talent, time, dedication. That's my prayer, that we grow in grace, that we keep growing in grace, that the evidences of God working in our lives individually and in our lives as a community would build and build for the generations to come. I want to share with you just a few brief glimpses of growing in grace already. A teenager told her mom in this realization, if I gave half the money I usually get for my birthday and for Christmas, that would be over $600 for three years. Mom started crying. Not because we're $600 short, but because it's evidence of God working in a young person's heart to realize, I can do something. I don't need the stuff that I'm going to buy with it. I suspect that may have inspired a middle schooler who made sure to hand in a card as part of early commitment. Her card is added up in the tally that I just reported to you. And it's no less important and it's no less impactful than the largest gifts that have already been committed and that will be committed. Praise God. One couple I spoke with brought up the topic of tithing. I didn't bring it up. I usually don't unless I'm preaching a sermon on biblical stewardship. And they said very honestly, you know, we are a mess financially. And we've lost over the years the discipline of tithing. There's no reason today we shouldn't be tithing and we're going to. And there's no reason furthermore that we can't give over and above our tithe. Thank you for this opportunity to talk about the vision campaign. That's God's doing. That's God building his house. I couldn't have ever accomplished that. I've heard through the grapevine, to be be honest, a couple of people express the feeling that I've talked about this vision stuff too much. My honest response is, I'm not sure how I could do that. Uh, This isn't a sales job. I I don't think that's the vast majority uh, of of feelings uh, represented in our community, but, but, but let me say this. We have an incredibly unique opportunity that is right before us to make this kind of impact for generations to come to do something, honestly, that I believe is historic, to invest and to take significant steps towards securing 
the future of gospel witness through Grace Redeemer Church here in North Jersey and beyond, I don't think I can talk about that too much. I passionately believe that this is what God is calling us to do. And this morning, in closing, I cannot plead with you more urgently to consider how you can sacrificially invest in what God has already been up to and what he will do in even greater measure through Grace Redeemer Church, through us, as he's building a holy temple with the apostles and prophets as the foundation and with Christ Jesus as the cornerstone. Why do we return gifts to the king? Because the king has given us everything. He's offered us his own son. And as we embrace Jesus by faith, we are promised all things, all treasure. My dream is that we'd see Exodus 36 repeated all over again. People of Israel are in the wilderness. They're being called to build the tabernacle, the mobile temple uh, in the desert. And at one point, Moses gives an order. He, he issues an executive command, and this is what he says. No man or woman is to make anything else as an offering for the sanctuary. And so the people were restrained from bringing, bringing more because what they already had was more than enough to do all the work. Oh, that God would do such a work in our congregation that our session would have to have an emergency meeting late on a Tuesday night and issue an executive order, if it even existed in the Presbyterian church, and send out an urgent email to everybody and say, no more. No more. We have enough. We have enough to support missionaries so they don't have to go on dog and pony shows all around the country on their so-called sabbatical home ministry. They have the decency to call it home ministry assignment now instead of sabbatical because there's nothing Sabbath-like about what a missionary has to go through. We have enough. We can support these missionaries who go to dangerous places with their little uh, kitties. We have enough to start the next church plants. We have enough to counsel the hurting and, and not have to have them work nights and evenings to pay for the help. We have enough to raise up the next generation of Christ's followers. People of God, would you join me in praying that God would do such a thing in our midst that we would do exactly what David did. Praise the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly and marvel that everything that he has enabled us to give simply came from his hand. Let's pray. Lord, I know that your spirit is at work applying the truth of your word and the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ so that so many are growing in grace here at Grace Redeemer Church. And I praise you for that. I thank you for the glimpses that have uh, come my way. I thank you for the glimpses that others have seen. I thank you for the, the many stories of grace that uh, we're not even aware of. And we pray, Lord, because we're, or, to use a biblical sense, jealous for the glory of the name of Jesus. We pray for more. We pray for an outpouring of Nadav, uh, willing, generous giving, not just to meet a goal, Lord, but because it would show us how idols are being set down and how a response of returning gifts to you, the king, is 
flowing out of the gospel. There's no other way to describe this kind of response, Lord, that we've had and that we anticipate except by the power of your gospel. We ask, Lord, that you would show us that this is not possible. Thank you, Lord, for showing me that this week. Thank you for showing me that through that last devotional on Psalm 127, that unless you, O Lord, build the house, we, the builders, labor in vain. So, Lord, build it. Lord, change your people. Lord, accomplish your perfect will. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.